Hello everyone and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts. Uh, there's no Joe, there's no Tom, there's Mike, and this time around we have Shayna. Hello Shayna, how are you? Hello Mike, I'm good, how are you? I don't know why I became an old Yiddish grandmother there. You did for a second How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, you know, we had our special, Tom and I put out a kind of a special bonus pod, uh, a double shifted if you will, about looking at the Kevin Shattenkirk buyout. And because that is a thing that happened, in case you've been under a rock. And uh, just today, actually, Shattenkirk signed with Tampa. But we're going to have, we're going to kind of wrap up the show with some more Shattenkirk talk. Because, you know, for some people, they might be a little, little oversaturated with, uh, with Shattenkirk discussion and talk. And so we're going to first turn to some news. And the first bit of news since the, our last shows were, is the hiring of, Gord Murphy to join the uh, the coaching staff down in Hartford, and Shana, I think you and I are good people to talk about this as we are the co-creators and co-owners of uh, BehindTheBenches.com, which our website BehindTheBenches.com. Yes, yes that's you, us. Which that's you can us. follow on Twitter at BenchBosses. And uh, Joe and everyone at Blue Shirt Banner can't stop us from plugging our site as much as we want to. We we hold all the cards here. We hold all of the cards. Did you? I liked uh, the Knobloch hiring, and then I also very much like this, even though there are some Rangers fans who are saying, oh, they're just this is just the Flyers' old coaching staff. But the experience that they were able to bring behind the bench in Hartford is pretty encouraging to me. Don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think that they you can see how much they're really committed to revamping Hartford, which we all know it's so desperately needed, and they could have gone the route of former Rangers and things like that. And honestly, you look at that that group of options and there's so few that I think I could point to and say, oh, they're the person to lead the kids. You know, do they have the experience? Are they qualified? Besides the fact that they're former Rangers. And I'm not sure anyone is. As much as I think everyone could be like, oh, Marty St. Louis would be great for that. And I think eventually he could. Do you want it that right now? Is he ready for it right now? And it, it's those bigger questions. So it's nice to see they went with people that they feel are genuinely ready and prepared to do this. And uh, I think both of them are. And uh, Murphy worked with the defense in Philly. He didn't do as much with the penalty kill because they had another coach for that, but he has experience with both. Mm -hmm. It's areas that the Rangers need to address, both at the NHL level and AHL level. So I think that this is a step in the right direction. And I'm curious to see how they fill out the rest of their staff because already they have a coach now that focused on power play. Now defense and penalty killing, so I wonder if they go for another forward coach or maybe another to help out with special teams or anything else. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. I, I, it makes me very curious about how robust this uh, this coaching staff might a- and end up being in Hartford, especially because Murphy isn't just an assistant; he's an associate head coach, so he's a little higher in terms of you know what his salary is going to look like and. What his responsibilities are and that's good news because there shouldn't be any conflict of interest he and Knobloch worked together in philadelphia very recently um, for those who don't know gord murphy was a longtime defenseman in the nhl he's also the father of current nhler uh currently with the chicago blackhawks connor murphy who shares my brother's name but uh this connor murphy is a little bit better at hockey and the thing that stands out to me looking at you know his his coaching history is the Flyers have had some pretty special young defense, and their their pipeline for D prospects in the past 
four or five years has really been interesting. And they've had, you know, obviously the, the huge success story of Provorov and, you know, the up and down um, play of, of Gossa Spear, especially in terms of production. But, you know, to have someone like Gord Murphy who has that experience, like this is a guy who's 52, he's been an assistant coach um, in the NHL since 2002, 2003. He has a long like a, a lot of history and experience to draw from here and that's something that I like uh, you know the last time around with this coaching staff Shayna we had Keith McCambridge and Joey Mormina and Mormina had you know his coaching experience from Mercyhurst but maybe not as robust a resume and the investment in these two guys for Hartford like you said is a clear indication they're putting money and resources into this because they want to get this right. And I love the idea of a guy who specializes in teaching young defensemen being there alongside Knobloch, who has, you know, the very rich history of his own, even though he's a decade younger than Gord Murphy of working with young players from all of, experience, all of his experience in the OHL and the WHL. Um, of course, you know, everyone will, I'm sure he, he will never be able to escape the whole he coached Connor McDavid thing, but there's a lot more to his story than that. So that is a pretty big deal. Um, it's been kind of an interesting week because of all the Shattenkirk stuff and uh, the summer showcase, but Gord Murphy joining the staff there is definitely a step in the right direction. It makes me, like you said, I is will there be another guy there? Because it's been a while since there's been like a big coaching staff in Hartford, so that is something to keep an eye on. Um, but actually, let's change gears now over to the summer showcase, which wrapped up, I think, on the third. Uh, so it's only been a couple days since since it wrapped up. And uh, for those who don't know, Nils Lundqvist actually got injured. Um, Adam reported for Blue Shirt Banner that the injury wasn't considered serious, which is good news. Um, but that was a bit of a bummer because he was someone that. We really wanted to get a good look at. He, is, he of course, is still only 19, and he is yet to sign his ELC. He's going to still be in the SHL, uh, you know, developing there, which is perfectly fine, especially because the Rangers have, you know, they had Rikov sign, and they already have uh, Libar Hayek, and, you know, plenty of bodies to choose from for in the AHL, and also to challenge response on the NHL roster now that Shattenkirk's gone. Um, but... The, he wasn't the only guy who got an injury, especially in regards to uh, Team Sweden. Olaf Lindbom, who is the still, I would say, still controversial, former second-round pick of the Rangers. Definitely uh, controversial. Yeah, the gold sender. He, he played uh, just two periods against USA, and uh, he came out at intermission as a precaution uh, by Team Sweden's head coach, and he didn't get back in action, so... This, you know, this goalie who missed so much time last season due to a concussion um, only played 40 minutes uh, and posted an 870 save. Um, I think he had faced 23 shots, so he stopped 20 of them. Adam watched this game, and he told me that he, he looked fine. It was hard to maybe hang all three goals on him, but it is discouraging, to say the least, to have his season start with leaving the lineup with an injury, especially after everything he went through last season. So... That is maybe something to keep an eye on because a second round pick is a heavy investment for a guy the Rangers really went off the board uh, to select. We'll have to see what happens there. Um, Carl Henriksen, a more recent second round pick of the Rangers, had a pretty quiet tournament in regards to just stats. Uh, 
five games, no points, two shots, Shayna, for for Carl Hendrickson. Which and, is... and he was playing with teammates that he's pretty acclimated to playing with. He was playing with Raymond, who he plays with a lot. I know there's a little bit of concern with Hendrickson. Um, is his production based too much on who his line mates are, especially since, you know, his line mates projected to go as a top pick next year. So yeah. I think that it's, you know, a little interesting twist there. Yeah, pretty much with the exception of um, their last game against Finland, Sweden was kept to two goals or less in every game. So overall, it was kind of a, you know, it's not surprising in, uh, you know, a, a tournament, even though this isn't really a tournament, just kind of a group of games to see, you know, scores that low because it's just, you know, I think Team USA who split split the roster still had games where they put up seven and six goals a couple times. But um it's maybe that's not what we were hoping to see, but again, it's five games. No one should really be panicking about that. Um, and Zach Jones, and uh, it should be obvious by now that I'm saving the best for last. Uh, Zach Jones had um, all all things considered a pretty solid uh, tournament. I think he was on. I think yeah, he was on USA White. He had two played in two games, picked up an assist, put six shots on goal, which is good to see. Um, someone who's really become an interesting young. You know, defender in this team system, and of course, Shayna, saving this one for last. Keandre Miller was a goddamn beast. Um, he really was. From all the you know the highlights I saw, and just I mean, just looking at his numbers, three games, a goal, two assists, eight shots, and watching the highlights and watching him play, he, he just looked like of all the Rangers prospects, he looked the best. And I think there's a case to be made that he was maybe Team USA's most exciting defender um, yep. from the way he played in the summer showcase. So I for, like, I would agree there. We get, I definitely agree. It's really easy to get wrapped up in, in the hype train for some of these young players, especially a player like Andre Miller, who like the Rangers draft, you know, took, made a deal to draft where they got him. And, you know, he had that crazy freshman season in Wisconsin and now there's so much attention on him and, there's so much promise for him to become a great player. And when you see him look this good, and you remember that he's still kind of new to playing defense, it just it's just so exciting to, to think about what this kid can become and what he can be for this team. I think it's exciting, too, because you look at it, how often do you watch any sort of prospect tournament and hear, oh, my God, look at this player. He's from the New York Rangers. You don't, you know, you yeah, really been, don't. It's with been Cosby. a long time since yeah. we heard since we heard language like that. Yeah. So now for this, you're hearing about Trevor Zegers, who was great, and Kaliev was standing out, and all of that. But it's, yeah, it's, Kaliev had a big, big yeah, and games. and I think, uh, and obviously Cole Caulfield, he has a puck on his stick. You have to watch what he's doing. But when you're a defenseman, it's a little bit trickier because how you evaluate defense is always like uh, it's a tough subject to broach because you look at, you know. You watch what you can see. If you see him do something like poking, you know, the opponent's the puck away from the opponent, you see he's doing something right. But it's a lot of the times what you don't see them doing. It's not something that can be tracked. It's the fact that less happened. Less can be more, you know, in the defensive end. And then obviously on the other side of the ice, it's that they're pushing play forward. So it can sometimes be tough to walk away saying, oh, the defenseman was the best player unless they're doing something so flashy. But with Miller, you really got a taste of each. You know, you saw him playing well in all situations. He was great with his stick. He was great defending and stopping the opponents from getting into the zone and, 
he was great with his puck possession playing to see the way he could accelerate and take off there, there's there's a lot of reason to be excited about him I think besides Kako he might be you know the most exciting prospect that they have in coming and that's saying something because you have players like Vitaly Kravtsev who are great and obviously everyone's looking forward to watching but this is a player that I don't want to get ahead of myself I know he's you know you have to remember like oh he's just a kid he's just a prospect but he is you know he could be that player he's the one to watch along the way and I think he's a defenseman that not only will you be looking for things that you see he stops from happening on the end, other end of the ice, obviously, you'll see things that are happening with the offense he can generate. Yeah, there's the point you made about the, his play with the stick is something that I really started to pay more attention to. You know, when he, you know, he had that really strong start in Wisconsin, and you know, we got to watch him. I got to watch him a couple times, and then, you know, from what I've seen of his game, his gap control and the way he he uses his stick, like I. I'm not big on doing this, but I remember talking to Adam about this. Like, he reminds me in a lot of ways of Colton Pareko, who, like Keandre Miller, it has a really big frame, and he looks like if he wants to, he can put you through the glass. But that's not necessarily his game. He can do that if he needs to. But more often than not, he's just a cerebral player who uses his size in the way where, like, it translates into him using his wingspan to take away the ice from attacking forwards and to tie up sticks and to just you, that those little plays where you just knock the puck and you change its trajectory and you completely screw over you know a forward who's coming in with momentum he does all these little things that you know he doesn't have to make a lot of those panic you know a big recovery play to make a diving effort or something like that and to me that's what's so exciting here it isn't just like oh wow he's a little bit all over the place but you know, he's making all these big plays still. This is more just, he seems so composed for someone who's, you know, still really learning his position and still adapting to stepping into a bigger role with Team USA. And I was overjoyed to see that he had such a strong performance in, in the summer showcase. So definitely all eyes are going to be on him in his sophomore season at Wisconsin. It's unbelievable to think, like, I, I agree with you. I think if he's not if he's not number 2, he's definitely number 3 in terms of the prospects I'm most excited about. Right. It's and that's definitely saying a lot. And I think it says something too when you're comparing in a sense apples to oranges when you're going, you know, forward to defenseman or something like that because you're you're looking for two totally different things. So I think it just adds to it. Obviously, teams are going to be excited about a defenseman. Like, you have, like, someone like Rasmus Dahlin coming in. Everyone's going to be over the moon. And, yeah, yeah. You know? But generally, especially, I guess, with the Rangers, because defense is something that constantly is a problem. And I think I think so much of it stems with expectations. You know, it's who are they going to go after? They're getting the next big, next big fish and, you know, things like that. So... To have it be a homegrown player is exciting, but it also, you know, it's kind of like pump the brakes at the same time. You're, it, there's so much back and forth because you don't want it that everyone goes, well, he's going to be the next great defenseman since Brian Leach. Because that's the line that's used on every single Ranger defenseman to walk in. It was used on, what if Shea could be like that? What if Michael Delzato, for fuck's sake, could be like that? You know, it, it doesn't... Over and over again. We heard it for so long that... And you know, to some point, I get it because there hasn't been another kind of homegrown D that's really emerged as that guy who can make that impact in all three zones. But 
that is a that is a lofty bar. <laughs> like he's Brian Leach is one of the greatest American defensemen, or really defense, you know, of any nation, of any yep. heritage to play in the NHL. And it's been a long time because those players come few and far between. And the other thing is, Rangers haven't drafted high, especially for D. Um, you know, like you think of Dylan McElrath and the sort of player he was, they weren't drafting the next Brian Leach there. You know what I mean? They they might have hoped that you know someone like Delzato could be similar to, to Leach, but no one's expecting him to become a Hall of Famer. And good, good for Delzato. He's gone on to have a you know a nice long career in the NHL. Um, you know he was in St. Louis. I'm not. Does he get a ring for? The Blues, I don't know if he reached the qualification. Anyway, he was on that team. Wait, um, yeah. Yeah. D- didn't he? I think, yeah, there's... I always forget the rule. You have to play... He had his day with the Stanley Cup. That much I yeah. do know. Yeah, so there. They showed that. That's the thing. And it's so funny. Like, you think about it. Every general manager wants a player that can win. Like, who qualifies for that? You know, it's like it's, it's like you pick and choose when you're going to hear that line used. If it's a player like... Oh, God, who was it? Florida Panthers signed... Dave Boland years ago and it was like well he knows how to win he's a Stanley Cup champion we're going to use yeah. it because here's a depth guy that we can pump up but like with Delzato is any team going to use that be like well he's a Stanley Cup champion like I don't see it happening <laughs> but it would be pretty damn funny if you think about it it would be funny especially you know considering the way he's kind of become this journeyman you know since, yeah. which you know he's not of course the first or last guy who was a highly touted prospect drafted in the first round to become that but it's kind of fascinating because the Rangers haven't had a lot of guys who they drafted high that went on to really even last in the NHL in, in many ways there's a lot of guys who this team has drafted in the first and second round that didn't really make it to the NHL so um, I don't know how we ended up talking about Michael Delzato and whether or not he has a Stanley Cup ring but these are the things that happen when Shane and I talk I'm still waiting you, the, for you to work in the, the windmill sex into this conversation. Should we talk about The Bachelor? Yeah. Let's we'll talk about The Bachelor. Pe- the people need to hear. What, what, what do you want me to start with? Explaining the windmill sex? Yeah, so I am in the dark on this. Mostly I get my Bachelor news from, from random DMs from you where you ask me if I've heard of things. Or like, explain to me I send that, snaps. Don't forget. Yeah. You explain that this happened and the way my brain works is, oh, there is... A windmill on a mini golf course and you know <laughs> that'd be a low like, budget date it's like well you know it's true and then you explain no this was a real windmill and i as in my head i'm like all right so they're in the netherlands or something but they were were they literally in the netherlands i think that's they went to the netherlands for okay so midway through the show they don't. They didn't used to do this, but they do now. But midway through the show, they they leave the Bachelor house, which is a house in Los Angeles, and they travel. I don't think the Bachelors and Bachelorettes choose. I think they give a list of like these are the places I'd like to go, and the show tries to make it happen. But they did at one point go to the Netherlands this year, I believe. And I can't remember if that's where the overnight dates were. They might have been. I think they were. And then they went to Greece after that. I think it was. But so. All right. So when you get to the top three, you get an overnight date. It's called the fantasy suite. You get a card. It's like if you choose to forego your single rooms, here's a key to the fantasy suite. And they set it up. And 
you have, keep in mind, normally you have dates, you have a day date, and you go on like an adventure somewhere, and then at night you have dinner, but you really don't eat dinner because you're sitting there talking in front of a camera the entire time. So the fantasy suite, the cameras leave you alone. And of course the assumption is that you're going to fuck like bunnies all night, and I'm sure people do because, I mean, you've been waiting all this time. But you also can like talk and do things that you don't want to talk about on camera, like maybe like let's talk about financial things or who's going to live where, and it can be what determines who the front runner is at that point yeah. so they actually get to be human beings not performing in front of cameras yeah yep moment. they had it they had it one year juan pablo was bachelor and he fucking sucked but it, so he was a bachelor and you hear that juan pablo you son of a bitch son of a bitch so andy was uh one of the contestants and she gets out of the fantasy suite and she's like that was horrible she was like he talked about himself the entire night He's so full of himself, blah, blah, blah. So she breaks up with him. She's like, I got to do this. And every time, like, she said something, he was like, it's okay. And she's like, no, no, it's not. And he was like, cool as a cucumber just saying it's okay. And she was, like, going off at him. It was very good. But so this year, she took four guys. Because at times, they might be like, you know what? I can't send anyone home. I'm unsure what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. So mm. She took four. First up is Peter the Pilot. And they have an extravagant. Peter the Pilot. It's Peter the Pilot. Jed the songwriter, which is a red flag. Stay away. They're not. They're, they're there for the wrong reasons. Tyler C., who's a construction worker, who is, you know, the best. And then Luke P., who was a five foot, I don't know, eight, the villain on the show. He was a douchecock. He sucked. So she goes with Peter the pilot. And their date, the night thing, is at a windmill. And it's like this super narrow building. With, it has a bed and it's like, you know, a hotel room, I guess, and but it's a windmill. And you assume that they bang. Nothing, I don't think anything was said. And then she goes on the date with Luke, who is the one that sucks. And he basically says to her, like, oh, if you had sex with any of these guys, I don't want you. Ooh. And she was just like, excuse me. And now everyone hated him. Literally, everyone hated this guy. Started with him every week. It was, it was the Luke show the whole time. It was really obnoxious. But so, they get into it. She's like, you're done. You're leaving. Kicks him out. And he won't leave. She's like, I know how to get you in that car and get you to leave. And she says something like, I had sex in a fucking windmill. I had sex with all of these guys. Like, Boom. get out. And so she says it. She's like, I fucked in a windmill. And I think she said she fucked in a windmill twice. So everyone was like, god damn, you had sex in a windmill twice. Fast forward a couple weeks. Well, after that, so Luke goes home. And then after all the rest of the fantasy suite, she actually sends this guy home. The guy she banged in the windmill? Yeah, numerous times. The yeah. only one she actually discussed the fact that she banged with on camera was him. She sends him home. And then after that, they have um, like a men tell all and the people who were eliminated get to come back and the ones who go far but not all the way get to like talk to her. Where did the relationship get wrong? go wrong? Blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. Two of them talk. And they're getting along great. Everything's great, wonderful. And she says something at the end. She's like, I feel like I need to clarify something. She's like, I said we had sex in a windmill twice. I just want to, you know, clarify. She's like, we had sex four times. And his parents and brother are sitting, you know, right there. And they are fucking cheering like crazy. They're like, holy crap, look what my son did. I'm like, my mom ever sat there being like, you had sex four times in a windmill. I would be weirded out a little bit. I would be really weirded out. I just love the... the that'll... I, <laughs> that's suddenly going to become a bucket list thing for people just because it's so specific. It's like, Have sex in a windmill. Who can say that? Yeah. that's a, And to 
multiple times is the other part of it. It's like a subway card where you, you know, you get punched off. It's like, what happens when you have five? Do you get, like, some bread? Isn't that what windmills are for? They, yeah. Energy. Energy is a thing, too. And then a lot of them, well, a mill, and then it, like, it grinds down green something. I don't know, Shana. I don't, I don't, I don't do really know either. Farming. But like I in this in you know, it's cool. You're in if you're in the Netherlands, wherever you are, you're super cool. You're on like location and normally these are like Ooh. nicer not nicer, but bigger, more spacious, like fancy hotel rooms and, you know, wherever the, they are. But they went a little different. Like one of them had a date on a boat and they had their overnight on a boat, which is I mean, I would be into it. I like boats, but the windmill was a very narrow building. What was he going to do? Doesn't look like there were TVs in there. I didn't see anything. Like, yeah, I don't know. If the first thing that what I'm worried about is whether or not if it is indeed a place where bread is made. I just hope there wasn't copious amounts of yeast around. I wouldn't want that. No. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Anyway, um, here's a smooth transition, not at all, to talking about Kevin Shattenkirk now. While I continue to think about windmill sex, like, like flour flying everywhere you know like you know like in uh remember the titanic where rose and jack finally bang mm-hmm. and you see her hand hit the, the oh window, yep the window and it leaves the, the streak mm-hmm. in my head i'm just like is that what happened in the windmill but it was just like flour that it's would be something the yeah. of the anyway, look like it was stone but anyway if anyone's going to talk shit to the fact that we just talked about the bachelor for a while let me just tell you <laughs> let me just tell you this is an important thing to talk about. And if you're going to talk shit about the Bachelor franchise and say, oh, it's fake, whatever, like, I'm with you to an extent. Obviously, there's editing. But before you want to, like, really get into it, go watch an episode of Bachelor in Paradise. It's on Monday and Tuesday. Come back to me and tell me how much you love it because you're going to love it because it's chaos and it's stupid. And you won't want to talk shit anymore. So Yeah, it's it's just mindless, funny stuff. You made me watch... Like, it was, was Paradise it last, last summer. Yeah. And Remember I Jordan threw the bear in the water? Yeah, and I was just like, oh boy, I can't watch this. Because I just, I, like, three hours went by because I w- just started binging it. I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I don't have this sort of time right now. But it, I was just like, I, I get this. This is like, it's, it's like quality when, stuff. It's like when I was in my late teens, my mom used to always get, like, this pre-bagged cotton candy, mm-hmm. like, from the store. And it was one of those things, like, I don't need it. I know it's awful for me. I don't even like it that much, but when it's there, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna hammer it. Oh, hundred percent. bag of cotton candy, and I hate myself afterwards. But you know what? I'm At least it's light. You could pick something way worse. You'd be like, I'm eating ten pounds good. of pretzels. You're gonna feel like shit after that. It's cotton candy. It's it's air. Yeah, but it's just pure sugar. Anyway, air and sugar. Um, to Kevin Shattenkirk. Yeah, Kevin Shattenkirk. Windmills. Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, so. As I mentioned, Shattenkirk ended up signing, signed in Tampa Bay, one year, $1.75 million, which I'm sure you would agree, Shana, is a pretty great steal for Tampa here. Um, you know, they, they, it was no secret that they've been, you know, kind of lusting after uh, Eric Carlson, hoping to get him into a windmill situation of their own. That never happened. So they missed that train, and now uh, Anton Strawman leaves for Florida. And they end up getting Shattenkirk for one year, no risk, no serious investment. And, you know, they they have plenty of options already on their power play. I was reading uh, the piece 
that you contributed to uh, for The Athletic, talking about whether or not Tampa should revisit that situation or revisit, you know, looking into Shattenkirk because it's something they did uh, before. But this was something that I think has become a major discussion among Rangers fans for a lot of reasons. The first being the number of people, myself included, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think you're also among this group who are really curious if there wasn't a deal out there for retaining half of Shattenkirk's salary and, you know, the Rangers essentially just trading him for little or no return just to get him off the books. In essence, doing something that is essentially a buyout without the buyout penalty. Um, And what we saw was 11 teams inquired for his services and some of those teams did offer him two-year deals. And it does very much seem like he left money on the, you know, on the table to sign with Tampa because, in his opinion, it's a great opportunity for him to bounce back, and also, you know, realistically, it's a great chance for him to win a cup. So, this is really, I don't know. It, it, I knew this would be a frustrating fallout. You know, when I after I talked to Tom and talked to him about the piece he wrote that kind of broke down the other things the Rangers could have done here, but. It feels almost appropriate that he ends up with a very good team like Tampa on a deal like this, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think of like which way to go about this. I <laughs> don't... Okay. I am going to stand here and say I don't agree with the buyout. I think that there are other options. Um, I think that the Rangers obviously have to move salary cap, you know, cap space. They got themselves into the mess... They have to dig themselves out of it. Do I agree with them buying them their way out of it? No, I don't think I ever will. I think that yeah. you need to have a plan. I think you need to have a better plan before you go about acquiring players. And I think that you obviously want to overspend on skill, if anything else. You know, like, there's no question in my mind that both Drew and Panarin are slightly overpaid. I really don't have an issue with it because you want to overpay for skill, not the average room. That's the price you pay. It's like yeah. people who complain about the Lundqvist contract. It's right, right. And um, I, I guess when before you go for more, you needed you needed more plans in place. And obviously, they had to do something quick before Panarin, which was trading Jimmy VC, and they jumped at it. But it surprises me that nothing else got done before that. I would have I would have tried to have, and maybe they couldn't because of the cap constraints and all of that. But I feel like there could have been ways to cut some cap space down beforehand and maybe they didn't want to just start losing roster players like Mesnikov and Strom without knowing if they're actually going to get Panarin and I understand that but I still kind of wonder maybe you could have gone for like a bargain bin free agent option to replace either if you just got rid of them and didn't have Panarin like what's the worst that happens because you're not you're, you're a rebuilding team if, if that's what you do that's what you do but so the Shattenkirk option I guess was the biggest thing of like we need for them saying they need cap space for this upcoming season. Season after, you just bought yourself all this room because, you know, Strom's contract's off the book, Nemestikov, you don't have to worry about bearing Bolesky because as much as, you know, you get cap relief, you still don't. Um, Jesper Foss is off the books, Chris Kreider. So it gives you the relief you need for right now. And then when you're paying $6 million in dead space and it would have been 500000 more to have him on the roster or you know you could have traded him at 50% retention in his last deal and it would blow my mind if that would not be an option in a year even if it wasn't right now at least at the deadline or next year 
So, I, you know, they needed to do something. Do I think this was something they should have done? No. I think they still need to do more, and this is where it gets kind of tricky because if you look at the group of players that you could get rid of to cut cap space down, and you go with it's Smith, Strom, Stahl, Nemesnikov, Shattenkirk, Kreider, whatever. That's your group of players that you're most likely cutting from. They're the ones who have been the most speculated. Yeah. And you walk out of this, and the only players you just lost are Shattenkirk and Kreider. You did something wrong. Period. The end. You did something wrong. Like, I can't... And VC was obviously oh, yeah, part and of BC. that before, but... And right. Your statement still stands, though. You, It definitely is mismanaged assets, to say the least. Yeah. And, and Kreider, I'm not saying don't trade him. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the word, because there's a good chance that's the better move to do for the right cost. You're not... But he can't be the player that you go, well, we need cap space this year. He's going to be a casualty of the cap. You can't do that. You know, and now if all of a sudden you're saying, well, we're actually going to be better this year. Not necessarily we're contenders, but they want to be at least a playoff team and you just get rid of him. Like, you're not it. Sorry. There's a good chance you're very much not it. And you don't want it that you're saying, it's okay, we have Kraftsoff and Kako. They'll do it this year. Because you don't know. And you don't want to put it in a position that you need the two to be able to do it. If you take Kreider out of the mix, and now you have Panarin on one left wing, you have Buchnevich on one right wing, you have Kraftsoff, and you have Kako, and that's your, you know, top four wingers right there. Who fills in if one of them needs, spa- you know, some time on the third line, which might happen. They might need time in Hartford. They might need something. Is it if Kako doesn't work out on the first line or, you know, you're going to go with Kraftsoff? Because you're probably not going to say, it's fine, go Panarin, Zabanjad, Buchnevich on the first line. That's not mm. an option because now you have probably kid line as your second line, and I doubt they go for that. They'll want at least one slightly seasoned player yeah, so i don't think we'll see a full kid line as much fun as that will be i just don't see that being what quinn and that coaching staff are going to want to do neither unless it's unless it's like a fourth line that gets limited minutes but i don't see it for a second line and then if yeah what do you do make that your third line and you go with the second line of players like strom namasnikov and Foster or something like that like you you just made your lineup that much worse and so I just think there's so many repercussions for it that if you all of a sudden now take out Kreider after Shattenkirk, you just lost two puck-moving players, two players who are good on the power play, two players that are good at, you know, generating offense, you, you kind of did the wrong thing. Yes, you added Panarin. That's a great move. Yes, you added Truba. That's an even, you know, that is a, a fantastic move. Yes, you got Kako and all of that. It can't be the only thing. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's... No, you are. Like, I... In my piece, you know, it happened literally the, the day the buyout happened, um, when I wrote for Bishop Anderson thoughts on dead cap space, and I... Just as, like, a hypothetical, I threw out the idea of, you know, trading Nemestikov, you know, uh, to a team like Anaheim, who we know needs a player that, you know, fits that bill, a guy in their middle six... Um, even though Anaheim probably doesn't expect to be a cup team, they probably wouldn't turn their nose up at something like sending back a replacement level player and a third round pick for someone like Nemestikov. And I just threw the name Nicholas Delaurier out there because he's like, oh yeah, he's a 950k cap hit. Nemestikov is four million cap hit. Anaheim has the space. And you know, is it a kind of modest return for someone of like Nemestikov? Yeah, but the cap space you get back in that deal is an asset. And that's 
kind of what I've been driving to um, with a, my perspective on what the Rangers could have looked for in a deal where 50% of the salary is retained. Like if they just said, we're not asking for a lot here. We just want something back. And with the understanding that we're going to take on 50% of his, you know, cap because this is more attractive than a buyout, because frankly, it would be dramatically more attractive than a buyout. If the Rangers, you know, did two deals like that, where they, you know, shaved off, you know, a million of the cap hit of Nemestikov and Strom in two deals where they just trade, get them off the books, then I'm sure a lot of people say, well, you, you have to replace those players. But even if the Rangers replace those players with, you know, Greg McKeck or Danny O'Regan, it's better asset management from the stance that Shattenkirk had a potential to rebound and have significant trade value. And you don't have to have any headache at all in terms of the dead space. And I want to make this clear. The, like you mentioned this already, Shana, but the contracts the Rangers have coming off the books this year make it so they should be able to kind of, you know, wiggle their way through, you know, the, the cap crunch they've created for themselves. But, and it goes even further, you know, if there's a lockout, it's it only helps them in terms of, you know, having to get through those waters or navigate that situation, but no one wants a lockout. The thing that is just kind of frustrating to me is now you have Shattenkirk and Dan Girardi's buyout penalties here for, for you know, four more years. It just... It, there's all these things that have happened that make me feel a lot of different ways about Jeff Gordon. You see a, a trade like the Mika Zibanejad trade. The contract he gave Zibanejad was great, and you feel really good. And you, you know, look at the job he did getting a really great return for Kevin Hayes, and at the time a really solid return for Zuccarello, even though the conditions on those picks didn't pan out. And you're like, okay, I feel pretty good about the direction he, you know, he has this team pointed in. But then you see, you think about like the Brady Shea contract. You think about the way the Rangers as an organization handled this Kevin Shattenkirk situation, a player who they knew was injured, they knew he was playing hurt, and they knew that he had the potential to be a better player, and they chose to buy him out over Mark Stahl. And things like that make me nervous about Jeff Gordon at times. And I want to be clear, I don't think he's is mistake-prone, as Glenn Sather and a lot of the decisions he's had to to make are due to the fact that he inherited a lot of problems from Sather. Um, you know, Dan Girardi's contract being one of them and Mark Stahl's contract being another one of them. But in general, I think there there is some cause for concern here because you, we saw the contracts he gave Truba and Panarin. And like you said, they're overpayments, but reasonable ones, considering how desperate the, the team need was for both of those players. I'm just very, very concerned and curious about what the next wave of real contracts looks like. Not bridge contracts like the Bucinavich contract. I'm talking about the contracts they hand to players who they're convinced they want to be around. And, you know, I can point to how bad both the Nemestikov and Spooner, especially contracts, looked and can point to a lot of other examples of, of things being, you know, the way this team handled Freddie Clayson and 
There's a lot of roster management stuff that makes me raise an eyebrow. I don't know if I'm alone in that, Shayna, but... Um, no. Yeah. No, I think if you knew you were buying on a defenseman, you could have probably just qualified Cleason and had a really good depth defenseman that would help out. And not that I have a problem with players like on Fox and Weber Hayek and um, D'Angelo all getting a shot on, you know, opening night. I think that could be great. You know, it's what we've all been asking for. Mm-hmm. is a younger blue line year rebuilding team show it give the players a chance so on and so forth but you need a little insurance and you don't even have that in hartford you don't have john gilmore anymore you don't have their starting defenders that they had that you could simply say oh we'll call them up and figure out something else i think they'd have to sign some sort of a seventh defenseman unless they're viewing brendan smith as that or plan on him being yeah, in the starting lineup. It's, it's that's an, something I've been wondering about too. Is it you know, is there is the guy they call up gonna be Ryan Lindgren now? Like what's their what's gonna be the first move? Let's say because all things you know by the time the show goes up, the story will already be out, but the next story I have going up for banter is the pending training camp battle between Igor Rykov and and Libor Hayek. And what's so interesting about it is you know, if that's if one of those two guys is the guy on that third pair on the left side, the Rangers have two rookie defensemen in the lineup, and that's like, oh, okay, that's fun. It's been a while since we've seen that. But the thing, like you just said, what is the what is the depth option there? What's the backup plan? And you know, last year around this time, or you know, just almost a full year ago now, the Rangers had too many bodies, and they made an Adam McQuaid trade, another move by Gordon that was confusing to say the least yeah and now they choose not to qualify freddie clayson and they you know they make this decision to not only that they also chose not to qualify chris begris who say what you will about chris begris he had you know a pretty solid you know relative even strength gold uh, goal differential um and this could have been the year for him to get that chance at you know yeah and a instead kid he's needs in time He's in Philly, and you know, like he's he's not going to be like a second pair NHL defenseman. But there's nothing that says he can't be a seventh NHL defenseman. He's just not a great skater. And losing John Gilmore, like you said, like this is really interesting to see what happens with this blue line, especially because all these pieces seem to fit so much better. If you say, okay, we're going to buy out Stall, and then we're going to resign ourselves to asking Kevin Shattenkirk to play the left side. Right. And in many ways, I think there'd be a fair point to raise. is like, all right, are we, you're jerking him around in a brand new way this season, asking him to play on his offside. But I really don't think it would be something that became, you know, a hill for him to die on. And, but, and for all we know, he could end up, he could have ended up playing the right side too. We don't know if Adam Fox yeah, we, is going to stick. We don't yeah, we know, don't know if Adam Fox is going to stick. We don't know if... Tony D'Angelo is going to, you know, have another Tony D'Angelo moment, like not to be dramatic or, or unfair to him. Cause it just seems, seems like he's, I, it's like you could see it click so much last year. You could see it, you know, the way he played, yeah. things he did, but then you would see games that he was a healthy scratch because of something going on that the coaches weren't happy with. Until that isn't happening, you can't be confident in it. It happened twice last year, you know, at least twice. It's something you have to think about. And I guess that's like, my concern would be now is that they're going to turn around and go for a player like McQueed again, who should not have been, you know, a mainstay defender when he was healthy. And 
he was, you, you don't want them to go necessarily for that veteran. You're still a rebuilding team. You want them to be young, which is why a player like Clayson makes sense. Or you could look back at depth defenders of years past, John Moore, Rafael Diaz, any of that. You know, younger guys that you plug into the lineup into your third pair, you're fine. Yeah, and that's kind of, I guess, you know, we found a new topic in talking about the Shattenkirk topic after all of our windmill fun is the, <laughs> this blue line is still very much kind of up in the air, even though I think a lot of people just assume it's going to be Hayek or Rikov and then call it a day, but there's no clear cut 7th D. In fact, the Rangers have, if anything, they kind of like have a surplus of 13th and 14th forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you consider the AHL signings. And now, like, it's not easy to replace a guy like John Gilmore in your system. Like, he was Hartford's most valuable and most important player last season, by far. And it, I know that they apparently made a, a last-ditch effort to sign him, and it was going to be hard to keep him no matter what, because some team was going to give him a one-way deal. Um, and that's exactly what Buffalo did. But it's it, there is something to say about where this blue line goes from here and that there still probably needs to like more fat has to be trimmed to get this team to fit and if it's it would be really surprising and frustrating to me if if they say we're going to make a move and we're going to have Brendan Smith as the 7th D making you know the money he's making as opposed to finding a solution to make Shattenkirk work because that would be I don't know that would you know what it would make a lot of sense based on some of the other things we've seen happen but yeah I really don't understand how they, they would make that work without moving Nemesikov or Strom or something else or finally moving Kreider. But yeah, this this is kind of an unsatisfying solution that Gorton found to a pretty serious problem, but all of it is tied to the fact that the front office made the decision to accelerate the rebuild when they had the opportunities to get Panarin and trade for and sign Truba. And in doing that, I think a lot of people didn't expect the Rangers to all of a sudden hit this cap crunch the way they did. Yeah. But they did. And the reason why is because big contracts. $19 million guys and who, two players. More yeah, than. When, is that, that's a lot of money in a very little amount of time. And it's going to change this team. And hopefully for the better. But you do now have to face some, some tough decisions about how to fit everyone, you know, under under the cap and the other part of this is you know you're not going to win the cup next year you have to kind of decide what your goal is as a team because does Chris Kreider serve that goal in the lineup or does Chris Kreider serve that goal better if he's replaced by you know a first round pick and a prospect yeah I don't know I think and there's two things with this so the Brendan Smith point you brought up I think is interesting because like in all fairness he can play both sides yeah. He can be useful. And wing, apparently. Well, yeah. There he so so he's your utility player. I think that there's a chance. And Hayek's the one for me, I think, of all the players that I go, is he gonna play next year? He's the one I guess I pause at because he did leave last year with injury. He might take some time in Hartford. It's not that he has I guess that flashy game that maybe would make them say, Yes, come to the NHL after preseason. I don't know if he can do I'm sure he can do something to inspire them. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of players trying too. So the answer yeah. might be, go play in Hartford. We have a great coach we just brought in that we feel is a great coach. Go play with him and, you know, 
just refine your game a little bit because he struggled at the AHL level last year. But on the other hand, you're going to say so did everyone because Hartford was a fucking train wreck. But, you know. But if you look at the numbers, he struggled in a big way. Yeah. And it's not just he didn't score, you know, he didn't pick up points because, you know, he had, I think it was just three assists in 58 games. But in the piece I just worked on, his, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, useful analytics when it comes to AHL stats. But a site like AHL Tracker, you can get a good idea of who a guy's defensive partners are and what they're their relative ease even strength goal differential is and Hayek's was the worst on the team that's you know for a guy who's supposed to be really adept in his own zone and like I know we all know that he scored a goal in his five games with the Rangers and that it sucks that he got hurt I just I I pay a lot more attention to 58 games than I do to five games and that's why I I just don't see him being ready for the NHL yet. And that's fine. He doesn't have to be. But I th- think it's important to place a realistic expectation on him. Yep. I, I definitely agree with that. And um, if, if it didn't work out with him and he needed some time, it's not that Brendan Smith is that bad of an option to have in your lineup, if he, especially if he's playing up to his level. And I think, I hope... At Which least. we haven't seen since the Rangers traded for him. Right. right. And and as much as I put it on him, and there is a lot of blame to go on him, you know, even there are times, there was a lot of misusage along the way. You know, you look at it in that first full season, he was a healthy scratch for eight games or so, and then you throw him back in the lineup the next game and ask him to go in without missing a step. You're, It's not going to happen. You miss that much time, it's not going to happen. And everything with the Rangers systems-wise was such a mess that how much if you're looking at it and say you know throw away this season no one even look at that season they were rebuilding it was chaotic you have to say it for everyone so it's it's like there's both sides of the argument you can go with in either way you could say oh well every you know you have to apply it to everyone then or you can go well he really did screw up and both can be true so i wonder if he is someone that actually can make the lineup because if in theory he did and you went with shay and truba as your first pair which i think is kind of what everyone's thinking is going to happen, which could make for a really good first pair. If you go with D'Angelo Stahl as your second pair and you know that they work together, you know it can happen based on what they did last year and there were ways that the two complemented each other. What if your third pair is Brendan Smith with Adam Fox? Because Brendan Smith is left-handed and can play the left side. If maybe Fox isn't ready and it's Hayek, Brendan Smith can play the right side. You know, it, that versatility helps. Yeah, which is, that is worth something for sure. Yeah, it's why we, you know, it's a big reason why Clayson was so well-liked. But could his game complement Fox's? Maybe. Because here's a guy that does understand how to be offensive. And you look at it years back with Detroit, and then you can also look at... The Brendan Smith the Rangers traded for knew how to play a shutdown game without causing problems for his own team and limiting their offense as well. You know, he didn't bolster their offense necessarily when he was playing that kind of role, but he suppressed shots, he suppressed chances against, and that's what you're looking for. So maybe with a player like Adam Fox that is so offensive, it complements, they could complement each other. So it's an option. It's there. Is it the best option? Would it have been better with other players maybe if you just said, fuck it, we're going with Frederick Clayson, or we're not buying out, Kev- you know, Kevin Shattenkirk. Like, there's definitely that. So, I don't know. Smith is like the wild card in it, because you never, I feel like none of us know what's going to happen with that. Yeah, he's a wild card for so many reasons. One, no one really expects him, everyone expects him to be buried in the AHL. Yep. 
But the thing is, you know, they could bring him back up at some point during the season, especially if things look rocky from some of the kids. Uh, but the other thing, like, his versatility is a big factor here. It just... It, the reason, like, this all started because if the Rangers have a seventh defenseman or, you know, they have Smith there on, you know, as that guy to move around the sixth pair to compliment, whether it's Fox or, or Hayek or Rikov, like... If he's the 4.35 million guy to be the versatile defenseman, they chose that option over finding a way to make Shattenkirk work. It's going to be disappointing to me, but it is what it is. It's it's the decision the team chose to make. I'm I wouldn't be surprised if Shattenkirk's injury really played a role in Gorton's mind, but uh, it was interesting to hear that he was really pissed off by how things en- ended, and part of it Rightfully he said so. was on him and. You know, he said, you know, he hoped he could make a better opportunity of it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting wrinkle to a huge offseason filled with all these moves for the Rangers. It felt like this was a story that was, like, tacked on to this already, like, leaning tower of all these big things we had to digest and consume and analyze. And the Shattenkirk buyout is something we're going to be talking about for another four years, I'm sure, because that's... Yep, we still talk about Girardi. We still talk about Richards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if but, the Rangers had the amnesty buyout from Richards. If they didn't, he would. <laughs> it would be a much bigger deal. Uh, yeah. We'd still be talking about it, but... With the, like, whole, uh, the Shattenkirk quote you mentioned, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one that I really like, too. I think that everyone, you know, you look at an NHL player and you go, well, look at the salary you're making. You can't complain. You can't be unhappy, so on and so forth. Yeah. They ever, you know, you're not worth your contract. You'll hear shit like that. But you have to look at it from the player's perspective, too. And if I were him, I would definitely be pissed off, too, because not only could they say, oh, we didn't get the Kevin Shattenkirk we wanted, not as advertised, even though it's like, hey, well, maybe you could have had that if he just didn't play through a torn meniscus to start his tenure. But I digress. He did not sign up for this. He did he not didn't sign up. Get the Rangers. He signed. Yep. He thought he was signing up for. They were yeah. retooling. They were rebuilding on the fly. Not a tear down shitstorm that the last you know year and a half were. And I think that's a really big part of it. And I know it'll get overlooked because he'll make his money anyway, and so on and so forth. But you have to look at it both sides of the coin. And he did not get the team that he signed up for. Yeah, he really didn't. And I know that's tough for you know people who. You know, might be just scraping by. You know, you're making a living wage. You're not making, you know, six point six five million a year. But he left a lot of money on the table. He was the free agent that in that free agency, and he chose to take less money to play at home. And uh, it's crazy to think of how I was just reading today. I wrote a piece like three things to love about Kevin Shattenkirk's contract that I wrote after he signed with the Rangers and. In that piece, I wrote, like, it's highly unlikely the Rangers will need to trade him, but if they do need to trade him, they can because he has a 10-team uh, no-trade list. So and I mentioned, you know, he, does, he has a no-movement clause, which isn't great because if they have to bury him, which seems unlikely considering how good of a year he just came off of, and just that's what can happen with a player's career in just a very brief amount of time. It was just a perfect storm of, of shitty, shitty things happening for Kevin Shattenkirk and the Rangers, and... It really sucks that, you know, this marriage that should have been so happy and so fruitful should have had many weekends banging in a windmill ended like this. But yep. um, This is yeah. why, this is like, this is right here is why there is risk signing with your hometown team. I think it was Jimmy Vesey when he was 
you know, that hot commodity out of college. He could have signed with the Bruins. And if I remember right, there was something about being concerned with doing that and his childhood team. And what if it doesn't work out? And what if there's extra pressure? And what if it spoils what the Boston Bruins meant to him his entire life? Yeah, Just I'm happened. sure. Like, think about, like, Kevin Shattenkirk's family and all they cared about. I know it's small potatoes compared to the bigger picture stuff, but this is a family of dedicated Rangers fans that loved, that celebrated him being a Ranger the way we haven't seen any family celebrate their kid becoming a Ranger in a long time. And the Rangers did not hesitate at all to, you know, put him in promotional stuff and to celebrate the fact that they got him. And then here we are, just, you know, just two seasons later. It's crazy. Anyway, Shana, you and I thought we were going to talk for like 25, 30 minutes and yep. closing in on an hour now. So this is a typical Mike and Shana show and discussion, really, truth be told. But um, just quickly before I get, I'm going to read the list of names that I remembered to write down this time so that I don't have names cut off. There's no promises on pronunciation, though. We'll see how I do. Thank you to our patrons, Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chicagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, CJ Vivola, Craig Lachlan, Dan Carozzi, Dan Zapor, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elsinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, George Lippman, Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, Jeffrey Stein, Jermaine Francis, John Prizpelski or John P, as I call you in my heart, John. Uh, John Reppy, Johnny Olo, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Manny from SC, I'm guessing South Carolina? You tell me, Manny. Uh, Matt from Brooklyn, Meaty Ogre, Michael Canick, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit, Panerowin 2020, Sammy Vogel-Seidenberg, Stephanie Benvengo, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Thomas Osa, Toy from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner, and Will from Buffalo. Shana, that's a lot of names, because we have a lot of lot lovely of people supporting our show. A lot of names. Glad you had to read Not Me. Yeah, and uh, I still notice a lot of mics, and then uh, no Joes. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. About that. Anyway, uh, Shana will be back for our Off the Post, where we answer some of your questions. That show might not go as long as this one. We'll have to see. Maybe we talk about Windmill some more. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to lovely people, Shana. Goodbye. That's very nice. Goodbye.